Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Koshcast on underthekoshblog.com and at under underscore the Kosh on Twitter. My name is Alex. Bernie is here. Hello, hello, Alex. Hello, Bernie. And joining us today, a very special guest, Jonathan Grade, the author of Golazzo, the Football Italia Years. Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks very much for having me on. Uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to join you and I'll sort of reminisce on um, glorious period for Italian football. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, Bernie and I are both, sorry, Bernie, I'm volunteering your, your age, um, but we are both in our <laughs> early 30s. So we are, you know, the, the prime audience for, for Football Italia uh, on yeah. Channel 4. Um, now, so I grew up in the UK, so I saw, I saw Football Italia on Channel 4. I actually haven't asked Bernie, um, like, what was your, your view experience of, of Football Italia? It, there wasn't one. Um, okay. Living living in in the countries I was living in at the time, it was all probably they got the feed from there and it was dubbed. You know, living in Malaysia and all that. But um, we were very big. I was almost an Inter Milan fan. Honestly, it it almost happened. Um, but I'm happy it didn't happen. But yeah, that's that's a story for another day. But we always saw Syria as the league. So we, we were we were watching it back then as well. Nice. Okay. Um, so Jonathan, you worked on the show. Um, you you describe in the book that you started off uh, essentially as a summer summer student or work experience. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> basically that's true. Basically that's true. Yeah. Um, first, I, contract started in 1992, which was the same summer the Premier League started on Sky in the UK, and Gazza had this move lined up to Lazio, which was supposed to happen a year earlier, but he got a really bad injury and then it happened the following summer. So it all coincided that Sky were going on air with their new show. We were going on air with Football Italia and I got a summer job helping them out. You know, I said, I haven't got much TV experience, but for some mad reason, they gave me some work experience. And I went in there, I've said this in the book, I had no... Um, no interest in Italian football because back then in English football, I was really passionate about English football. All these great players have gone to Italy and it was just like, we couldn't hang on to them. They were all going off for the big buck in Italy. And yeah, so I, I, I just, my love affair with it grew as I learned more about the teams, about the players. And from that point, I just, I fell in love with the country and the league. I mean, that, that was actually, that leads perfectly into one of the things that I wanted to ask you first, which is that I remember watching this show and very quickly absorbing a lot of information. Like the show was very educational and I, I don't know whether that was deliberate necessarily or like how educational uh, it was trying to be, but within a few months or what felt like it, I knew the teams, the stadiums, the players, uh, you know, 50 cities I'd never heard of before. Um did, did you have a similar experience working on the show? Like, did you just absorb all this stuff in yeah, a matter I mean, of months? Yeah, I, I'm very lucky because my memory is really good. I mean, I've got the most ridiculous memory from things that happened long ago. But when I started in my job in this, this was my first ever real job, and I had no experience in TV, but they, they took me on, and it was amazing. And I, I would um, cut features and... And my boss will come up to me and say, just, you've got to assume the viewer knows nothing. So we, we were giving information out that for us seemed a bit over the top, but we were um, 
preaching to a completely new audience. You know, no one had, there was no European football on television back then. Now in the UK, it's like five Spanish games, five French games, five German games, five Italian games throughout the weekend. But there was nothing. There was no European football at all. So we were sort of trying to convert a new audience. And obviously we were providing um, shows that were free to air. So people weren't buying Sky subscription necessarily because they saw this best league in the world with all these stars and it was free. So, you know, we were trying to teach um, small things to our audience as we went along, especially at the start, because we were trying to trying to familiarise, I guess, a new audience with what the league was like and what Italy was like. Is that, is that, um, does that show how important, say, Gaza's transfer was to the show and to the audience? Was that... You know, I know in the books there are lots of different interviews with him, but maybe just talk about the importance of that move and his importance to the show overall. Yeah, I mean, I doubt it would all have happened without Gazda because back then he was like the star of English football. He was the the, the greatest export football-wise that Britain had. And so he went to Lazio and it was obviously the glamour of moving to Rome and this club that had... Um, you know, it was never really successful and just won. It only ever won the league once. It was in the shadow of Roma and everyone sort of questioned, why is he going to Lazio? But um, his, um, you know, he was the reason we all started because he, um, originally the plan was for him to be presenting the show, but as it transpired, James became presenter and Gaza was, you know, Gaza was only going to be, um, I mean, obviously you interviewed him every week and we followed his fortunes. We did interviews all over the place, but Gaza was, wasn't going to be the presenter, but he was, he was amazing because he had this knack of, which you wouldn't get in footballers nowadays, of never take himself too seriously. If, if the press would be talking about his diet, he'd be making loads of jokes about what food he liked and mm -hmm. what he shouldn't be eating, but oh, I'm going to have some ice cream now or whatever. But he, he, Nowadays, it's all about image with these players, you know, social media and the clubs monitoring everything they say in public. But he he was more than happy to, to mock himself or just he just what you saw was what you got with Gaza. What he was like on the screen was he was just a, a really fun guy who was just living the dream, going to live in Rome, playing for this club, playing these amazing stadiums. And he just loved it. And he just he was just like a, a mad football fan, but just in this dream world of living in this country, which has such great players. And it was just, it was a dream move for him and it worked perfectly for the show. Just uh, on Gaza, like how, sorry, Bernie, um, how, how much control did Lazio have over what he was doing with the show? Or did they even know about it or care? This is the thing. It's obviously a completely different era, but as far as these clubs were concerned, especially when we went to get interviews with some of these stars, they saw us as these, you know, overseas broadcasters because they knew that whatever they gave back, what, whatever players they gave us access to, it wouldn't be shown in, in Italy. It was all going back to the UK. So they, they were quite relaxed about it, which was brilliant. And Lazio, um, you know, interviewed Gazza every week, but Lazio didn't really know the half of what was going on behind the scenes because they wouldn't have seen it because it was going out on British TV. And I think that mix of James's charm and his fluency in Italian intertwined with it's going out in the UK, you know, you won't see it, sort of 
made these clubs less on edge and gave us gave us more. Mm-hmm. Probably gave you some credibility with them. Um, on 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 Gaza, just probably last question on him. I, I'm very curious as to, you know, in the book you mentioned, and I think it's also sort of well known that his diet and sometimes his professionalism was called into question. Um, yeah. How how bad did that actually get? Um, with the club because you know we think about this type of thing right now modern days clubs might say well you shouldn't say that or you shouldn't do that and hey what's this ice cream that you're doing like how how bad did that get uh for him yeah i mean I'll, I'll just tell you a few stories about gaza i mean god so many um so for example we we shot these opening links to the show which were always we tried to make them as comical as we could and then we had gaza sat in a chair in his living room the lights were out and um, someone turned the light on. One of the, one of the crew turned the light on and Gazza was sat on the sofa eating a Mars bar. You know, it was just like, he didn't care. He was just, he was just great fun. We had Gazza doing links, talking to this massive chocolate Easter egg. So he said, all that coming up, but now it's our lights of Lazio against Milan. And he'd be talking into the Easter egg. I mean, after, after a game, he, he was, um, he may not know the story. He, um, Lazio obviously had some poor forms. Like these Italian clubs go into press silence. So media, they get no access to the media for a week if they're in Retiro or whatever it is. And Lazio just played whoever they played, no idea who it was. And Gaza's walking through like the mix zone where all the press are hovering to do interviews. And, and they know, the press knew they can't talk to anyone from Lazio because Lazio are in this press silence. Anyway, so they thrust a microphone in Gaza's face and he just, belched into it and walked off and he got a nine thousand pound fine for it so it was just mad stuff um you obviously know all about his goal in the rome derby when he scored that was his first goal for lazio um the following week he um he had to go to hospital he had like a a minor procedure done nothing was going to keep him out just has just had a very small operation and when he got there there were some nuns who were roma supporters he said this is what he said on the show there was a group of nuns who were Roma supporters, and when they saw him, they were punching him. And that—that—that that, that is the that and that, in essence, is the passion of Italian football. These deeply religious nuns who wouldn't harm anyone. Gaza scores in the last minute of the Rome derby, and they're punching him. That is—that is the raw passion which people need to understand about Italian football. It—it's it, off the Richter scale, and that was, um, you know, that was. Um, that was what it was. It was definitely actually, worth a confession. I, I actually have one story which which will sort of tell you about what um, what filming is like now compared to back then. Obviously, you've got if we go and sh- if we any production I'd work on, we have a risk assessment form and tick in. There is danger of this, you know, endless endless paperwork. And back then, we didn't have any of that, so we. We filmed Gaza one week for the show. He was in England that week. And we filmed him at a safari park. And he, we, we had him doing his main interview for the show, literally sat next to this massive tiger. And the whole idea now that you would have like some <laughs> superstar doing an interview. The insurance. And you are literally sat <laughs> next to a tiger, which is on this like huge metal chain next to its owner that is... I mean, that would eat your head off, but it was huge. And then, you know, not just stuff like that. He had a snake around his neck doing a link. He, 
Okay. He was holding a cage um, while he was doing some Lincoln. They had to shout at him because his finger was on the cage and the lion was like that far from him. I mean, just these, but that was what it was like back then. There when there, the health and safety was out the window. Anything went. And Gaza was, um, Gaza was, you know, happy to do whatever. He, he didn't care. He was just enjoying it. He was just living the life out there and just happy to do pretty much anything. Wow. Sensational stuff. I mean, I, I was going to gonna ask you, you know, J- James Richardson obviously did a lot of like funny skits with various players, not just Gaza. Um, I was going to ask you what the funniest or silliest thing the show ever got a footballer to do. I, I'd be surprised if there's anything much sillier than sitting that close with Lion, but you tell me. Oh, God. Um, or a tiger, rather. Have you heard the... Um... Have you seen the David Platt Arnold Schwarzenegger opening? I'm I'm now very scared. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know how David Platt was this whole complete contrast to Gaz, who was this introverted character, and there was barely much emotion when we interviewed him. You know, he was like very serious, very professional. He was like your English player who went to play in Italy, who integrated with the Italians who would speak fluent Italian within months. He, he was like the ultimate professional and trying to get him op- to open up in interviews wasn't easy. So anyway, so somehow James managed to get him out of his shell one week. So, um, so they had him tearing around his driveway, coming around the corner before screeching to a halt o- over some doll. And so obviously when we did the opening, we put fake police sirens all over it. Anyway, um, James is like, David Platt, is that you? Yeah, we're going to get on the show or what? So he grabs James by the collar. He's got a bandana around his neck and a cigar in his mouth. He said, but I'll be back. And the idea of getting David Platt to do something like that when (laughs) it was so far outside his comfort zone, it was, you know, I mean, but he could do, the great thing about James is that he could get that bit extra out of, out of um, these stars. We did an interview one year with Roberto Baggio, and in, I think it was 94, he was the World Footballer of the Year at the time. So he was like, he was, at the time, he was the Messi or Ronaldo of, of what would be today. And the idea that sometimes we used to hang around for these players, you know, sometimes you get nowhere with the clubs, the press, press officers at the clubs, so, you know, you just had to, you had to wing it sometimes. So mm-hmm. anyway, so they, so um, Roberto Badger's at Juventus training ground and James is just waiting for him to come out to walk to his car just to grab him for a quick word. It was, we were previewing some Juventus game and he was, um, we were doing a little feature and we showed a couple of lines from Badger. Anyway, so the thought now of someone like Lionel Messi coming out of training, walking across the car park to his car and then just chatting to doing an interview with whoever any journalist that happens to be there Roberto Baggio <laughs> comes walks in across the car park to his Ferrari or whatever it is James intercepts him um and says can we just have a quick word just we're doing a feature on the game on Sunday can we just have a quick word so not only manages to get a five minute interview with him in the car park but also gets the world player of the year to do a funny opening link where he says, Oh, um, Badger's on one side, Carbot, he's on the other. And he says, Oh, 
Roberto Badger, how nice to see you. And then first match, oh, nice to see you too, James. It's like, you're thinking, this guy is the best footballer in the world and you're getting him to do some ridiculous link in the semi-darkness of the Juventus car park. And <laughs> but that is what he could get out of these players. It wasn't just with your typical sort of reporter. It's like, well, can I just have a couple of questions which turn into five or six? He got the five or six and got him to do an opening link, which wow. I can't, I, you, you could not imagine. I mean, normally now these days, these players come out, agents, press from all the club, from the club, like surrounded. So you would not have a cat in hell chance, let alone with Messi. But that was what we got away with back then. It was a different time. There was because there was no social media as well. I think mm-hmm. players were more, more happy to speak to you because they knew that there wouldn't be some 20 second clip of him doing an interview saying something controversial will be online in seconds. Yeah. Um, and that aspect of it meant that you had more, I guess, more scope to sort of get these players to open up, particularly mm-hmm. with a, a show going out in another country, because there wasn't that, that chance of something going viral that something they wouldn't be happy with. Right. Cause it was a different time. And it, yeah. Speaking of different time, um, you know, you mentioned in, in the book, you know, we talked about a little bit that you basically were like, hey, can I, can I get a can I get a job? And I read, I think it was at a dinner and they were like, yeah, yeah you came yeah. back and you said, can I come back full time? And they, they, they kind of went, yeah, sure. Why not? Like in my mind. Right. Like in this in the economy and the globe, I'm like. I wish that would happen to me or, 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 or someone else because we've thrown our resume around for football jobs when we came out of, I mean, obviously it's Canada, they're not that many anyway, but like we threw yeah. our resumes around and didn't get that. So firstly, I know it's been ages, but props for that because that's every guy's dream, every football fan's dream. If yeah. not playing, you know, in some capacity, you get a job in, like that. Yeah, and I mean... My, my, my question specifically is, you didn't even know what you were doing in terms of, I think it was called tagging or logging that, that you were doing. Logging tapes, yeah. And can then you, I went to front, elaborate then I went on that studying a for a year. Yeah, elaborate on that, on what that, that is for, the, for those right. who may not have read, so, read the book. Um, they would ask me, so, so basically they had these matches and then they had these shows called Noventesmo Minuto, the 90th minute. It was a show that went out on Italian TV after the game. So basically back then, there'll be no live football. All the matches will be played on a Sunday afternoon. There'll be no live football. None of the matches were shown live while they were going on. They would, they, they wanted people to go to the game. So at about six o'clock, they ran a highlight show, which is about 40 minutes, which was three minutes. They did these short three-minute edits of each game. So I would be tasked with, with logging this, which meant basically watching it there's like a time code on the monitor making a note of whatever time code that was and describing what was in that clip so it'd be badger assist viali goal something mm-hmm. along those lines and the score at each time but it was a very laborious process because the italians um had a tendency to cut things incredibly tight so you would have a goal that would be 14 seconds and you're talking about a three minute edit and then you'd have a chance it'd be about eight so you the list of things in it was just relentless and some of it was just the way it was edited 
<laughs> was just really basic. So I can um, see why you'd want like a summer student to be doing this. Yeah, <laughs> you'd have cut, to pay them per per hour. Cut with it. A, it was cut with an axe. Their hearts. I mean, it was just they didn't bother doing sound edits or anything. It was just that chance, that chance, that chance, and they would voice over it. There'd be no commentary on it. But um, so yeah, that's why I, what I did in the summer, and then then when I I went to France for a year studying, and then I came back. Did another month's work experience for the second season and then they they gave me a job and you know and within a couple of months i started cutting match edits and stuff so it was um you know it was just um they progressed me really nicely through you know they they got me in the edit suite not long after i started because they didn't want me just sat there as like a a logger stroke running the libraries they they wanted me to be of use to them further down the contract so they really trained me up really well and it was um you know it was, um, it was amazing it was really I was just so lucky as a football fan to have that job and to to be in it for so long because it was just for any football fan it was a dream mm-hmm. it really and was over the years how much time did you end up spending in in Italy or was it you know almost all kind of studio work with no, team I, trips or anything or no the best well god I've been a lot. Um, you see that picture behind me? Um, mm-hmm. I went to Turin to see Juventus win the league. I think it was 2003, which is just after we finished. But I went, my first experience with Italian games, I've written about in the book, was the Italian Cup final in 94 when Sampdoria won the cup. And it was nil nil at half time and they won 6 1 with seven goals in the second half. <laughs> and that, that, that Sampdoria side had, you know, it was like that amazing side with Hullets. Um, Mancini, Lombardo, Platt. Mm. I mean, that that their attacking talent that team was insane, and they just they blew the side away. But it, the atmosphere was just, you know, it's on another level. It was just the pat. You just when you're there, the raw passion is just. There's great atmospheres all around the world, but in later years on the production, I suddenly realised the best way to go an Italian game is to um go to a game we weren't showing and get press passes because we just needed to email Rye and say, my name, I was a producer of Football Italia. And then if I want to go with a mate, it just said he was a, you know, a um, editor. Photographer or whatever, yeah. I meet, literally, I meet my mate who was studying in Geneva. We get, we drive through the Alps, the Turin or wherever, and get our press passes. And then we go, you know, we get these amazing seats, you know, press seats and then we go to the press conferences and it's just that that was the way to do we got free tickets and the, the press area you know it's, it was the way to do it but i we used to run these competitions with goal of the month and the winner we get a selection of winners who go on a trip to an italian game three or four times a season so i went to rome and i went to milan to the interplay lazio um and you know, it all happened quite regularly because we were we were taking we had goal of the month competitions every month. So mm-hmm. there'd be some winners, and then a few times during the season, grab a load of them, and it's um, then um, you know we were off, and that that was that was a real opportunity to sort of get an insight into what it was like in an Italian game. So I heard so much about the atmosphere, whatever, but I honestly, it's it's nothing like you can imagine to go. It's just. <clears throat> You walk in your seat and there's just this buzz of anticipation and, and just passion. It, it, I, was, I was saying to my wife earlier today, the thing about Italy is that, you know, in England, 
you've got football, you've got cricket, you've got rugby, you've got mm -hmm. all manner of sports. Italy is football. Mm -hmm. Everything revolves around football. It's everyone's passion. There's no, I mean, they're, they're into other sports like F1, but. And there's, there's that. It's there's... all about football for an Italian. And they are so passionate about the, the one sport they're really, it's like a whole collective. And mm. um, yeah, so it's, I think the fact that everyone is so obsessed, it, it's a religion and that's, yeah. that's the best way you can describe it. Honestly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We had a, we had our experience in Rome. So we did a little Euro trip football trip a couple of years ago, like four years ago now, I want to say. And, you know, we went to camp now, we went to Old Trafford, we went to the Emirates and we went to the Olympia Stadion and the best experience was at the Olympic Stadium watching Roma versus Torino. It was also the emptiest. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The crowds, I mean, we expected it because, you know, we've read up about it and we know that crowds have been staying away more so. But I would say the capacity in the stadium was about 20% full, but it yeah, was you... the loudest. It felt louder than the Camp Nou. Oh, no, it is. For it some is. Reason. It was ridiculous. Um, Torino aren't the biggest draw for, for a Roma home game, but... Um, but they brought yeah, a bunch it of people. Would be. The, away stand, the away stand was rocking, though. Torino yeah, actually really well, a bunch yeah. of people, yeah. Big day out. Um, but, you know, it, it is loud. I mean, any game you go to, I mean, you'll hear firecrackers and all sorts. I We were in Italy um, a couple of years ago, and I went with my, my daughter's, like, really into football. And I said, oh, we're, we were in... Um, we're sort of staying sort of between Venice and Verona. So looking at trains and where we could get to a game that weekend. And Bologna were at home. So I was like, come on, let's just go to Bologna on the train. It's only an hour. We'll have a laugh. We'll have some lunch. We'll go to the game. Yeah. So we go to the game. And Bologna against Verona, you wouldn't expect really to be anything. The game wasn't very good. But the noise, she, she, I think it was the noise aspect that blew her away because it was just it was so loud and there's firecrackers and it's just, it, the chanting is so intense and it's just, it's just so different, but it's, you just see the raw passion when you go to games. It's just, um, it's just electric. It really is. Yeah. Um, if we, if we go back in time a bit now, yeah. just to, to the era that, you know, football Italia was, was at its peak. Um, Serie A was quite clearly the best league in the world at the time, had the biggest stars, um, the best football was there. Now, in in the intervening years, the Premier League overtook it, and that was clearly because of television revenue. But back then, where was all the money coming from for Italian football? Was that television revenue, or was it just private money that was flowing into the game in in Italy? What, what was fueling the the kind of rise? Mega rich owners. Um, okay. Inter had Massimo Moratti, who was an oil tycoon, who was just stinking rich um milan were run by berlusconi um juventus by the agnelli family and then sergio cragnotti at lazio had a, a massive empire and then you you had palmer coming through sort of under the radar and and they spent fortune and that all sort of fell apart because of um all sorts of dodginess behind the scenes the fortune they uh, didn't have yeah. Lat, yeah but yeah i mean they were all run by super mega rich people and they, the, the first season um that i worked on um 
there was only one pay TV game a week on Sunday night. And that carried on for a while until they, um, until they started bringing matches to Saturdays because of Europe and whatever. And it, it really didn't, I mean, even in 93, 94, when it was so strong, the league and just so powerful, there wasn't like masses of money from TV coming through at all. It was just these clubs were run by these incredibly powerful people. And they, they really want, you know, they, they were fans of these clubs. Marathi was an Inter fan, Berlusconi, Milan fan, Cragnotti, Lazio fan, and the Agnelli's, you know, part of the Fiat Empire. And they were just passionate about their clubs, but they had the funds to sort of, you know, chase that dream. It feels like a billionaire's boys club where it's like, oh, you don't own a club? What's wrong with you? <laughs> it is, it is. I mean, obviously, times have changed so much and Berlusconi left Milan. Uh, Marathi sold into, um, I think they've got Chinese owners now. Mm-hmm. Um, Lazio, after Cragnotti, he, they, ha- they had a major um, situation with Cragnotti. There was all sorts of issues. I'm not sure what whether he went to jail or not, but he lost, uh, it, it all collapsed financially for Lazio. And, you know, and, and also don't forget um, the film, you know, Victoria, Victoria Chekigori um, was, had a great, um, you know, his, he had a film background and he was this massive Fiorentina fan. And, you know, he plowed millions into the club and that team they had with Batistuta and Rui Costa and, even Fiorentina, you know, it, every club, every club had these huge stars. Um, and it was just, um, it, they were all chasing the same dream. And um, some spent well beyond their means and some could maintain it. And it was just back then, it's where all the money was and, um, and all the players there. But I think once these, I think the game changer really, looking back, was when the mega rich owners came into English football, mm. like the like the um, Abramovich's and mm-hmm. the um, the Manchester City owners, um, you know, they seem to take the, the the spending to a completely new level. It was these clubs spent lots and lots of money, but mm-hmm. it felt like there was a massive sea change here. It just the lid was lifted. I mean, it was just seeing the amount of money yeah. that these clubs are spending and what they're paying on wages, and then. And by then the league was on the wane a bit and they couldn't keep up and it was all everyone was coming to the Premier League. It's it's interesting like like you bring that up because um in the book, you know, and I think it's also it, it's a weird public perception in the book you say that you weren't initially interested in Syria because of the negative, you know, football tag that was attached to them, but you quickly realized that was a myth. And at first I thought to myself, what does he mean? Of course it was negative, but then I thought about it and you know, I think it's A, a tag that is attached to the Catanaccio style of the national team. But B, it's weird that with all the players you mentioned, you know, Hullet, Van Basten, um, uh, Rijkaard, those types of guys, right, where we're playing. But then you just mentioned it now, and it really made me think. Growing up, you know, you had Parma, had an amazing group of players, Fiorentina, Lazio, Inter. AC Roma. I'm like half the league was world class. How like it doesn't make sense they could have a negative tag on them. How do you think it compares? Do you think is a difference? I mean, there's obviously a difference in terms of player quality now versus then. But do you think 
the negative tag applies now versus then? No. I mean, if I may just bring one other name to you. There was a fellow at Napoli called Maradona who who had a decent career. This is Um, true. Never never heard of (laughs) him. He did all right. Um, But, yeah, it's all sort of construed with the national side who, you know, 1-0, 2-0, that's enough for them. It's all about keeping that clean sheet. But looking back, when I look back at it, I sort of did some sort of research on numbers when I was writing the book. And of our 10... Of our 10 seasons, five of them, the uh, Syria outscored goals per game, Premier League, in half of those seasons. So, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it wasn't duller than the Premier League. It was just, it's, it's such a different game. And back then in England, it was a lot of about, it was a lot of 100 miles an hour football, you know, bombing forward. And that's changed with the, with the influx of foreign coaches and foreign players. But um, Serie A, Italian football will always be what it is. And it's it's not that crazy pace of an English game. But it it's different and it's not dull. <laughs> there's, there's plenty to get excited because it's not negative. It's, you know, it's, you look at the players. Players still there. Ronaldo's gone there, for God's sake. And, you know, I mean... It's um, it's never been dull, but it's sort of, I think it's been sort of given that label because of Catanaccio and possibly watching the national side in, in various World Cups. But it, it, yeah. it shouldn't be. But it, it's a shame that, it's, that it has got that label because I, I, I don't think it's anywhere near the truth. Well, but part of it may, may be also that like the quality of defend. I mean, we've talked about the, the sensational attacking talent, but the quality of defending was also incredible. So, you know, when, when one league has his best defender is like Alessandro Nesta and the others is like Gary Pallister, you know, the, <laughs> more goals are, yeah. are going to fly in in one than the other to some yeah, extent. Yeah. But um, listen, um, Jonathan, this has been wonderful. We, we don't have too much time. So I want to ask you um, to finish um, specifically about the book. We all remember that time as you know a wonderful time for Italian football. We 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 love reminiscing about it. But what was your motivation for for writing the book, uh, and what was your process when when doing so? Yeah. Um, so basically, um, when we came off air in two thousand and two, um, we weren't sure whether we were coming back. Um, we had we always had a final Gazetta show after the season had finished, and we did in our final Gazetta, and James took in his end link to quite a sort of um, sort of non-committal goodbye saying we may be back, we may not be back, but you know, we hope you enjoyed it, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it didn't come back. And that was sort of, we didn't fall off the air as such, but we sort of, it went without like any fanfare or anything. So I thought no one sort of, you know, embraced it or I'm all about nostalgia. There was no <laughs> so, testimonial. <laughs> there was no test there. anyway so basically what happened was our program director died um ray wilkins died as well and then peter brackley was our commentator died and i, I went to his funeral and i um i was just think, i was there just standing around at the funeral and i just thought you know what no one's ever written a book about italian football or football italian i should yeah. say i thought you know what i've got such a good memory of that time that I could easily write it, you know, I could try and get as many stories from behind the scenes as I could and just work my way through it. And I thought it would be such a, I, I thought it would be popular because people, A, have 
are people still really nostalgic and it had this huge following the show and people have such memories and like a friend of mine read the book and he said god i was just reading a book and i'm just not really interested in Italian football but just remembering names a spree i completely forgotten about him and it's just like it brings back so many memories just sort of writing the book and talking about how it changed between seasons and it's just the names you remember um who you might have forgotten and it's it's just a real trip down memory lane it's very light-hearted and it's um i've tried to throw in as much as i can from behind the scenes we've had a few we had a few interesting moments on air but um you know it's just about um you know bringing back those memories to people who, who sort of love that era and there's so many people who just love harking back to that golden era for italian football because it was it was incredibly special for for Syria, incredibly incredibly special for British viewers, and it's just trying to, you know, bring back those memories. Agreed. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to read. Um, where can people find it? Yeah, so it's available on Amazon, uh, nine pounds ninety nine. It's in the Kindle store for seven pounds ninety nine. Um, it's available. So um, please buy it. You will enjoy <laughs> it. If you're, if you're a fan of Italian football, or a fan of the game back then, or a fan of the show back then. I think you'll enjoy it, even though I'm biased. But um, yeah, no, it's um, should bring back a lot of memories. I absolutely did for me. Um, I'm sure Bernie, for you, is the same. It, it, it did, <clears throat> especially as Alex tried to recreate the the newspaper, the, the newspaper thing. <laughs> the we were we were in Italy. He did do that. So I did definitely, do that once, yeah. we we are the crowd yeah. for this book, and uh, we will um, post links and with this post Brilliant. links on on Twitter. Um, everyone, please go. Go buy a copy. It's really worth a read for nostalgia. And whenever we do get to meet in person and do our next trivia night, there will be questions from the book. So this is a sign <laughs> reading like now. Like <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us and uh, and best of luck with uh, with the book. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for downloading the Koshcast. Get in touch at underthekoshblog at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at under underscore the kosh, and for articles, predictions, and the full experience, go to underthekoshblog.com.